Good morning, Redemption Arcadia. Thanks for being here. If you're joining us online, thanks for watching. Um, stand and sing if you're in person, and if you're welcome to stand at home as well. But we're just going to sing some songs together.
snow wall you won't kick down the high won't tear down coming after me no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't tear down coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't
free to uh to be seated we've got a short video from frank uh he's out of town so he's got a couple things for us hey redemption arcadia a couple quick updates for you on this sunday first of all i'm actually not in phoenix today i am in iowa at the camp that i have taught at every summer for the last 24 summers yes they are having their summer camps in northeast iowa there's really not much of a pandemic going on in Iowa, so uh, I know a lot of you are going to think, well, we need to move to Iowa. Don't go so quickly, but yeah, I'm up there right now teaching at the camp and having a great time. It's one of the things that I really, truly look forward to every year. So Tyler Thompson is going to preach his first sermon at Redemption Arcadia today, so we're excited about that. But here's the other thing. This is a much more important update for you. Uh, obviously, we stopped... Uh, our regathering efforts at the beginning of July uh, across Redemption and people have been wondering what are we doing going forward and quite honestly I think that what we're gonna do going forward we're already doing it right now uh, we're doing this nine o'clock service live stream every Sunday morning and people are welcome to come to that and over the last couple of weeks we've had small increases of people who are trickling in and once we get to a point where we start bumping up against uh, the governor's uh, number restriction, we'll talk about adding a second service. And so that's our plan right now. The plan is that we really never fully shut things down. We just readjusted. And we've been having people come on Sunday 
uh, mornings. We've been having people come on Wednesday nights as well, which has been good. And so that's what we're doing right now. And we're going to just stick with that plan, this slow roll reopening. We're going to stick with that plan until the circumstances demand another plan. Uh, again, everywhere you go, the rules are changing. The situation is changing almost daily. And so that's what we're going to do right now until it's no longer tenable. So if you're wondering about uh, when you can start coming back to services, you can start coming right now on Sunday morning at nine o'clock. And if we start getting enough people, then we'll start talking about opening up another service. So that's our plan for right now. And we're excited about it. It's working for us. We're glad we're back into a Sunday routine. That's been really important for everybody on the staff and the deacons and the elders and for many people who have been coming on uh, Sunday morning. So if you have any questions, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. Uh, I am available on email, even though I'm in Iowa. They do have Wi-Fi in Iowa. They just got it last year. It's pretty cool. So if you want to reach out to me and, and talk a little bit more about that, go right ahead. Otherwise, enjoy listening to Tyler preach his first sermon here at Redemption Arcadia. Adios. church. Would you stand for the reading of the word, please? The reading today is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for God is love, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knows not God, for God is love. And in this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might love through him. Herein, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is a reading of God's word. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Ira. I appreciate you reading the scripture. Ira told me that that was a, the Bible uh, from the first time he ever went to church, 1988, 1989. Thanks for reading that scripture for us this morning, Ira. And, Thanks to the worship team for leading us in worship. You guys did a good job. Yes. That Caleb is a good-looking guy, don't you guys think? Yeah. It's the hair. It's the hair. He's got really good hair. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for leading us in worship. And uh, this video with Frank, does anybody else think that he kind of looks like the godfather sitting in that chair? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, appreciate being able to address you all today and share with you from 1 John chapter 4. My name is Tyler Thompson. And uh, while it, this isn't my first sermon, it is my first sermon here, and so I'm really thankful to be able to share this passage with you. I'm reminded by the Lord this week as I looked at 1 John chapter 4 just how much there, wisdom there is here and how much there is, uh, this is the living word of God. Uh, when, when we prepare for sermons, God is teaching us in the process, and I just want you to know that. And so th there was no exception this week. Uh, God, over the last week or two, really taught me from, from the the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter of 1 John. And so I'm thankful to be able to share with you some of that today and then next week as well. 
Uh, we are, Redemption Church is uh, one church in nine congregations uh, and many households in Arizona right now. And we are uh, gospel-centered, we are outward-focused, and we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Uh, and so we're thankful that you've chosen to join us this morning, uh, whether here or online. Thank you for participating with us. We've been going through the book of 1 John, and uh, we are getting chapter 4 this week and chapter 5 next week. And as Tyler uh, James and, and Frank Switzer have both pointed out, John speaks in sort of a symphonic style. He's not as linear as maybe Paul is. He's not as direct as maybe Peter is. Uh, but he speaks in sort of a symphonic style, sort of like uh, Beethoven's symphony or something, where you've got themes coming in and, co and, and going back and forth and then being woven into uh, this one unified music that you hear. Uh, if, if, first John four, if first John is a symphony, then first John chapter four is kind of like the crescendo and climax. It's sort of like the highest note of the symphony. Uh, in, in simple terms, if you were to sing happy birthday, it's like happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday. That's the climax, right? It's the highest note. That's sort of what's happening here in chapter four. And then next week in chapter five, we get happy birthday to you. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the ending of the song. It's the, it's the coda. It's the, it's the finish. It's the, the assurance that we get from 1 John chapter 5. And so that's what's going on in these chapters. And uh, I wanted to, uh, to share that with you because you sort of know that, that John is writing with these themes coming back and forth. So let's jump in. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can open them. But they'll also be on the, the screen here. 1 John chapter 4. Now, John is going to open this chapter with the word beloved. And I want to take just a moment to understand what this word is, to share with you a little bit about this, just, just this one word, beloved. John is calling us, the church, God's beloved. Not only John's beloved, but God's beloved. It'd be one thing for him to be calling us his beloved. I guess that would be pretty cool. But he's also talking to us about being God's beloved. And actually, he's going to say this word three times. He calls us this three times in this, in this chapter. Three different times he says beloved. And I want to share with you a little bit about what's in this one word. Because you know that names matter, right? The names that you've been given matter. The names that you have tell us a little bit about who you are. My, my three kids have middle names that are hope, faith, and valor. And, it, and, and, and these, these kids are showing their character traits in their middle names. When we, when we name someone, we're giving uh, identity and we're giving calling. And John is calling us beloved to help us understand what our identity and what our calling is as people who are loved by God. That word beloved at its root has the word agape. You guys have heard that word before, several of you? It's sort of like escape, but it's agape. It's different than escape, but it's agape. Agape is the word that, that is used in the Bible for, for love, for not just any old love. I mean, we've sort of uh, developed our own definitions of love. We love Cocoa Pebbles. We love basketball. We love lamp. There's things that we love, and we've sort of redefined this definition of love. I like it a lot. I really like it a lot. And if, if we really, really like it a lot, we'll, we'll say, I love you, love you, love you. But this definition of agape is a different kind of love. And many of you have heard this before. It's unconditional love. 
Love without condition. I'm going to love you no matter what. It's a love that is self-sacrificial. A love that says that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice for the other. And it's a love that prefers the other. It says that, that your needs go ahead of my own. This is the kind of love that is being talked about when the Bible talks about agape. And agape is all over this chapter. Now, there are two different things that I want to point out to you about these two words that you're seeing on the screen. The first one is agape tos. This is the word that is used of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 12 and chapter 17. And so Matthew, in his account of the gospel, is using this word agape tos to describe who Jesus Christ is and to describe his identity and his calling. And so in other words, Matthew is saying Jesus is one who is loved with agape love by the Father, and Jesus is one who loves with agape love the world. This is an amazing thing in this very short word, in this one word that John is saying, Jesus has been loved with agape and has loved with agape. Now that second word is agape toy. I just said toy and then the kids in the room just their ears perked up because we're talking. Not that kind of a toy, a different toy. Agape toy is the plural of agape tos. And what John is saying to us is that we are agape toy. And in our name is indication of our identity and our calling. That we have been identified as those who have been loved, agaped by God. And that we are to love with agape one another. You get it? Agape toy, agape tos. What John is saying in this one word, in this one name, is the framework for the whole chapter. And that is that, one, we have this identity of the ones that have been loved by God. And two, we have this calling in order to love like God loved us. We want to love one another. That's it. We can go home. We'll see. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Let's read on from there. Beloved. So, so John is going to actually call us beloved three times. And there are three sections of the scripture that we're going to break it up into then. Beloved, use your heads. Your Beloved, use your heads. Beloved, use your hearts. And beloved, use your hands. And those are going to be there are three sections of scripture today. And what we'll get at is that John is looking for us to love one another this way. And he's given us three ways of looking at that. Sound, sound good? First John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. Oh, this is the, and now, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. I tell my daughter sometimes that even adults make mistakes reading scripture, and it helps. The Lord is telling us, beloved, use your heads. Test the spirits. Frank hit on this a couple of weeks ago in chapter 2, that we don't want to fall for every line that comes across as believers. As believers in Christ, we don't want to just pick up any, any bit of wisdom that comes from the world. Because oftentimes that wisdom isn't exactly wise. Tyler James said a couple of weeks ago as well, we need to spend more time in, our, in the word of God than on our news feeds or on social media or watching the news. I couldn't agree with him more wholeheartedly. There's, as I'm scrolling on my phone on my Apple News or as I'm watching the news, 
sometimes it's story after story after story of things that just seem like flat-out lies. As Christians, John is wanting us to know that we have to use our heads. We actually can't check our brains at the door, but we have to test the spirits to see if what is being said is true. And, and Frank covered this a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago, that there's a spirit of the Antichrist, or there's this Antichrist figure in the Bible that will come, but there's also many little Antichrists that are leading people astray, there's those that are speaking uh, lies. And so the first thing that John wants us to know, that if we are beloved in Christ, we're going to use our heads. We're going to discern the truth from the error. And how we do that is that God gives us his spirit so that we might discern. His Holy Spirit give, gives us the ability to discern these things. In verse 4, John says, Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. <laughs> Amen. Little children, I love it when John, um, after calling us beloved, goes back to calling us kids again. Hey kids, listen up. And he's going to do this in chapter 5 as well, so we'll be prepared next, time, next week also. John, when John is saying little children... It's an indication that we still have a lot of growing to do. It's that we still have a long way to go. It's that we need to hear this message again. A parent sometimes says to their child, how many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> well, the answer for all of us really is that we need to be told a few times sometimes. And what John is saying here is kids, children of God, recognize that the one who lives in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Who's the one in the world? Well, that's the devil. We know from chapter 5 that we'll get at next week is that John says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. If you look around in our society today, if you look around in the world today, don't, isn't it clear that the world is under some sort of evil power? Isn't it clear that the things that go on are not good? I mean... Regardless of where you're at politically or where you're at with, uh, with your background and all of that, you can, you can identify that what we're seeing in the world is troubling. John is saying, little children, take heart because the one who lives in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Isn't that a comforting idea, even right now? That the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the believer and is greater than the one who's working against the believer and helps the believer to discern truth from error. I'm encouraged by that. They are from the world, these antichrists. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. You've heard this idea about groupthink, right? One way or another, that when a large group starts to think the same way, they just sort of keep on encouraging each other to think that way. And then we don't want any ideas from the outside. One of the things that John is saying is, don't just listen to groupthink. Of course the world is going to behave as though they don't know God. Of course those who are not a part of the church are going to live and think and act as though this has nothing to say in any kind of authority over their lives. We shouldn't expect anything any different. What John is saying, though, is don't just listen to everything that's being said by that group. Instead, John has indicated that we, verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Do you hear how clear that divide is? Either we are a part of the spirit of truth 
or we are a part of the spirit of error. Doesn't leave a whole lot of room for, for middle ground. That's black and white. That's not very gray. And it's binary. John is saying that we, either we are children of God or we are children of the devil. That's what he said in earlier chapters. There's kind of not this middle ground that, you know, our world does not like binaries very much. Isn't that right? That's become a very bad word, binary. But John has indicated that there's only two types of people in the world, those who are of God and those who are of not. That comes up in the Psalms. That All throughout the Psalms, the theme is that we are either the righteous or the wicked, that we are either children of the Lord or we are children of the devil. If we believe the Bible to be true, and we do, this, this binary is a truth that we must submit ourselves to. John is saying, beloved, use your heads. Don't believe every spirit, because there's only those who are for God and those, are, those who are against God. In other words, how many of you have seen Wizard of Oz? Yeah? Yeah, so <laughs> Frank can quote Godfather and things like that, but with my kids being at home, I, not a whole lot of Godfather going on in my house. I've, I've got like Frozen and Moana, you know, these kinds of things, and Wizard of Oz. So if you've seen The Wizard of Oz, there's a character, three characters that are on their way to Emerald City with Dorothy, and the first one is the Scarecrow. And what John is saying is don't be a spiritual scarecrow. That instead what we want is we want to have a brain. You remember the Scarecrow? If I only had a brain, yeah? Should we sing it now? No, we'll do it later. John knows that we get into trouble as believers if we have all the heart in the world, all the passion in the world, but that we don't use our heads. And so the reminder is, beloved, use your heads. Now, here's the good news. As a believer, you don't just have to discover things for yourself or study for yourself or, uh, or do all of, read all the books that you can or go get all the degrees that you can. As a believer... The so God's solution to us needing to have a brain is that God gives us his mind. Did you know that? There's at least a couple of places in scripture that talk about God giving us his mind. If you have your Bible, I'll just turn over to 1 Corinthians 12 for a moment. Or 1 Corinthians 2, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 14, Paul writing here and saying this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him or foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I love this passage that it talks about the wisdom of God being foolishness to those who do not know him. It's sort of like the song that we just sang, the reckless love of God. We don't mean reckless that, that, you know, God was out drunk driving or something like that. But we mean that God gave himself up in a way that seems foolish to the world. So here we understand that, that the, these, the person of the, of the world does not accept the spiritual things of God. Verse 18, the spiritual person, however, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. I know the times that my brain has been all haywire. This has been a huge encouragement to me. Some of you know that I struggle with a mild case of obsessive compulsive disorder. 
And to hear that I have God's mind as a beloved member of God's family has been one of the most comforting things that I can, that I can think through in this OCD thing that I battle. That God's mind is given to us. Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Now, one more thing about the mind of Christ. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I heard a lot of pages turning to 1 Corinthians, but you guys are tired already. So you don't have to turn, you don't have to, turn to Philippians 2 if you don't want to. I'm just kidding. Never scold the congregation. That's what I've been told. We're just throwing that out. First, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if we have the mind of Christ, what the mind of Christ leads us to do is to have this mindset that Jesus had, which was to humble ourselves, to deny ourselves, to give ourselves up for the other, to lay our lives down, even to the point of death. Now, I don't know how many of you have this kind of love in your life. I don't know how many of you practice this kind of love in your life. I've been a Christian for a lot of years. And I would like to think that I would lay my life down for others. But in practice, that's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? We can think this all the time, but sometimes the practice of laying our lives down, even for the people that are closest to us, we need God's help for that. So good news, God has given us a mind. We don't want to be a spiritual scarecrow. If that is you today, or if you know somebody like that, we have a solution. God has given us his mind. Back to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we're headed in now to verse 7. This is the second section of Scripture. Beloved, use your hearts. Beloved, let us love one another. Oh, I should sing this part. You guys know this song? Beloved, let us love one another. Was I the only one in Sunday school that learned that song? For love comes from God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. Nobody else knows this. He that loveth not... Knoweth not God, for God is love. This is what I feel like sometimes on Sundays. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7, and 8. Yeah? Yeah, thanks. Thank you. One of the best ways to memorize scripture is to sing scripture. And I remember growing up singing this song in Sunday school, and it, it has never left my brain. Never left my brain. 41 years old, and I've been singing that song over and over again. There are worse songs to have sung, right? John is saying here, the Lord is saying here that we want to also love one another. We want to use the heart of God. We want to discover what it is that the heart of God is. That if God has loved us this way, that we also want to love others this way. For love is from God, and whoever's been born of God knows God. In other words, there is a defining factor or characteristic for the believer, and that is if that person loves. It's not if that person knows all the answers, or if that person has all the degrees, or if that person goes to church every Sunday. It's if this person loves. 
Else, elsewhere in scripture, it'll say that they will know we are Christians for our love for God and for one another. What God is calling us to is a life of love that loves him first and that loves others second. Now that, that arrangement is helpful because we don't want to flip that on its head and love others first and God second. Here's why. Sometimes good loves, good passions, good causes can be elevated over God. And then we're not keeping the main thing the main thing. I had to get a Schraderism in there somewhere. That if we allow these other good loves in our lives to lead us, it's like the cart pulling the horse. That we get our priorities all out of balance. And so there are a lot of good causes that we can give our lives to. But John is saying we love first God and we love others second. It doesn't mean that I won't love my family. In fact, just the opposite. My love for God leads me to love my family. My love for God leads me to serve my family. My love for God leads me to love you guys. My love for God leads me to love my enemies, those who are not like me. John is saying if God has loved us this way and if we love God, that we need to love others this way. And there is a defining characteristic, a mark of the Christian, that if you love God and love one another, that's the fruit that we can see as the evidence of being born of God. But those who do not love do not have this fruit and are not born of God. Again, do you, hear, do you see the binary there? Either we're in or we're out. It's that clear in the scripture that either we have this agape love in our lives or we don't. And John wants us to know that if we don't see that love, there is good reason to question whether or not we've been born of God. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. I always love when I see a purpose statement for why God, was sent, God sent Jesus into the world. And here's a purpose statement here. God sent his only son into the world, what? So that we might live through him. That verse popped for me this week in a way that I had never, never read it before. I knew that God sent Jesus to the world, right? To save the world? to make propitiation for sins. And I knew that that was in opposition to what the devil does, that the devil works to steal, kill, and destroy. And I knew that Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. But I hadn't read this verse in this way. Jesus was sent to the world so that we might live through him. In other words, we wouldn't be able to live as believers unless he had come and done what he did. We wouldn't be able to have the Spirit of God in us in this way. We wouldn't be able to be born again in this way. We wouldn't be able to put to death the old man and put on Christ as the new man. One of the purpose statements of Jesus coming to this earth is so that we might live as the church. How cool is that? And so Jesus, the Father, sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. By the way, just this, this uh, passage is just trin Trinity all over it, right? We got the Holy Spirit, we got the Father, we got the Son. One God, three persons. I love this imagery here. This text leads us to this doctrine of the Trinity as well. So God has given us his, his Spirit. Now, now, looking at verse 10, we have 
coming up this, this, this purpose statement of Jesus. We have the gospel in a nutshell. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If ever you want to describe the gospel to anybody, 1 John 4, 10 is a great place to go. That God loved us so much, so sacrificially, so unconditionally, that while we were yet sinners, that Christ was sent to give himself up for us for the propitiation of our sins. Now, Tyler James covered propitiation already. I don't want to go into it again. But I will say it is the act of pleasing God. It's often linked with the word atonement, which is that we, there's payment for the things that we've done wrong. Now, that flies in the face of our world's understanding about right and wrong pretty, pretty simply. The gospel, and, and, and many of you know the gospel, some of you may not. The, this, this idea that somebody else paid for the things that I did wrong is the best news I've ever heard in my life. Because I honestly cannot make up for all the things that I've done in my life. I don't know that any of you can either. Pretty sure you can't, but I'm not judging. <laughs> we oftentimes think that, well, I, I've listed these things that I've done bad. It's not too bad. This, this one I, I sort of did, and, and uh, it was just sort of like a little white lie. It wasn't like a full lie. It was a white lie. And so if I do five good things, I'll make up for that. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is that he paid the price for all the things that I ever did, all the things that I may do today all the things that I'll do in the future. Once and for all made the payment for our sins. Isn't that good news? We can stop trying to dig ourselves out of the, the, the sinking boat, shoveling out water one bucket at a time, but there's holes in all, of, <laughs> in all the boat. We're never going to be able to shovel out enough water. And there's holes in all the buckets that we have too. Good news of Jesus Christ is and this is what separates Christianity from all the rest. Is that God came to earth, sacrificed himself so that I might live. Paid for my sins. So that I can be his beloved. Hallelujah is right. This is what Jesus did for us. Now, this discerning of truth and being part of God's beloved will lead us... Uh, into our second example, there was a second companion that came with Dorothy on the way to the Emerald City, right? This was the Tin Man. You remember the Tin Man? Yeah. John is also saying, don't be a spiritual Tin Man. Like, you might know a lot of stuff, you might have your brain together, but let's not be people who don't have the heart of God in us. And as we said with the mind of Christ, there's good news here as well, which is that God gives us a new heart. Did you know that? Ezekiel chapter 36, you can go there if you have it. Ezekiel chapter 36. This is also great news. Verse 24, I'm going to start in verse 24 because it talks about God giving us a place to go live, land, wherever we're coming from. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is also good news that, Christian, we don't have to be a spiritual tin man looking for where our heart is. God has given us a new heart. Isn't that encouraging? Do you know a spiritual tin man in your life? Or have you been a spiritual tin man in your life? A heart of stone, just cold-hearted, hard-hearted? The only way through to a cold heart of stone is for God to replace that stone with flesh. And this is what God offers to us. Just like he gave us a mind, he offers to give us a heart, a new heart of flesh. And I love the language there as well, that wherever you've come from, God's going to give you a land to live in. He's preparing a place for us. And that that new heart that he gives us will cause us to walk in his statutes, in his commandments. It's not the other way around that we walk in his statutes and then one day we have a new heart. It's that God give us the heart first and then he causes us to walk and live in his commandments. Isn't that good news? We don't want to be a spiritual tin man either. God gives us a heart and he gives us a mind. Now the third section of scripture is beloved. Use your hands. This is verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I love this concept. And the reason that John brings up that no one's ever seen God is because though we can't see him, we can see each other. Remember the purpose statement that we read about Jesus a second ago. Jesus has come to this earth so that we might live through him. In other words, we are called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. If, God, if people can't see God, they can see us. They can see Zach, and they can see Anne, and they can see Charlotte. They can see us. That we're going to be the people who bring the hands of God in this world. I'm encouraged by this, that, that the Lord himself is asking us to be an extension of him. Even us. The people who couldn't dig themselves out of the boat. I can share stories with you of all the times I was trying to do that and making new holes in the process. God will use even people like us, broken people, because that's all there are, right? No one is righteous, says the scripture. So God is is saying that we are going to be the people who are living in this manner. It even says that God's love is perfected in us or completed in us. Or made whole in us. It wasn't that his love was imperfect before. But it's that he has further intentions about his love. That include all of us. What a privilege right? That God has had it on his heart. To love all of us and include us in his agape love. It's mind blowing. Even me. Even you. No matter who you are and where you've come from. I'm so encouraged by that fact. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. That word abide is something here that is, is just very key for John in the, in the gospel account of John that we're going to get to in, in, in August and for the next probably two years. John talks about the vine and the branches, that, that we are to remain in him 
because he is the vine and we are the branches, the extension of that, of that, of that vine, that any, any branch that gets cut off from the vine withers and dies and is thrown away into the fire. Again, there's that binary language. You're either in the vine or you're thrown away and burnt up. I don't like that language either, but it doesn't mean it's not true. The Lord is intending for us to abide in him. We spend time with him. We dwell with him. We read the scripture so that we know what he says. We pray. We listen to the spirit. We sing songs of worship. We gather together at church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, don't stop gathering. Can you think of a more clear message for the church now? Don't stop gathering. And we can take precautions and we need to. But even if we don't gather as a church, we want to gather in, in pairs. We want to gather with a few others. We want to gather in our homes. God has this idea, idea of abiding with him and with one another in a way that causes us to continue to live this life that he has called us to. It's not just trying harder. Some, maybe you've been there, and I have, where I've just tried harder to be a good person, where I've just tried harder to do the right things. It never works. Where if I just had enough accountability partners, like 15 of them, they might control all of the things that I do. It never works. Because we need this new heart and this new mind to be the gospel and the feet of Jesus. Going on, verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. I'll pause there just for a moment to say, remember that John was not just a theologian. John was not just a pastor. John was not just an author. He was an eyewitness to these things happening. That's important. For the skeptic, we say, who actually saw this stuff happen? Well, a lot of people, actually, it turns out, that were witness to the death of Christ and that were witness to the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. If we want the facts, the, the, the cold, hard truth, we need to look at the the evidence that has been provided for us in the Bible, which is that these were people who saw Jesus, walked with him, ate food with him, camped out with him, saw him do his miracles, saw him at the cross, and saw the empty tomb on Sunday. John was the one that Jesus loved. Of course, John, in his account of the gospel, is the one who is saying that Jesus loved him, but we'll take his word for it. What we have here is an invitation to be the hands and the feet. I love the language of saying that we have seen, we testify, and we confess. You see with your eyes, you testify with your mouth, you confess with your lips or your tongue. John is using physical language here to indicate that we become the mouthpieces of this Jesus. We become the hands and the feet of the gospel that we use our eyes for the things that he would have us use our eyes for. Let's say that one again. We use our eyes for the things that God would have us use our eyes for. 
We use our mouth and we use our lips and we use our tongue because he's the creator and the sustainer and the Lord of our eyes and our lips and our tongue and our mouth. And so God allows for us to be his hands and his feet. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Verse 15. I'll just point out there, the language there is that there's a mutual indwelling. That God abides in us and that we abide in, abide in God. What a cool mystical thing that is. If you're into mysteries, the Trinity is a good one. How does three in one work? I'm not exactly sure. It's a mystery, but the Bible teaches it. And I can give you all kinds of refer, uh, examples about how that works out. Some that are really good and some that are not, not as good. So talk, let's talk later if we want to talk Trinity. I also don't understand how this works, that I abide in God and that God abides in me. But that's what the scripture teaches. Can you think of anything more intimate than this? I mean, there are some relationships in life that are just so close, that of a husband and a wife, that of a parent and a child, that of friends of many years, that this one surpasses them all, that we're in Christ and that he's in us. It's why Jesus prays that we would be one in John 17, because he knows the value of this kind of a relationship. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Again, that repetition, God is love, that theme coming up again. Remember, God is agape. This love, this kind of relationship is what we're made for as the people of God. By this, love is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. I remember at our preaching collective, Allison pointed this verse out that, that we are the way that Christ was in this world now. That as he was here in this world, we are to be now. That in other words, we become this hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, that third com companion on the way to Emerald City, that was the uh, cowardly lion, right? Put him up, put him up. I know my impressions are good, okay? <laughs> the, the lion, the cowardly lion, he had hands, but it, when it came right down to it, he didn't use them. He had hands and he could pretend to be a tough guy, but when it came right down to him, his hands went away. He was looking for courage. He was looking for strength. He was looking for the ability to actually show up when it mattered most. We don't want to be spiritual lion, cowardly lions. Where we have the heart and the head, where we have good ideas and good intentions, but we don't actually follow through on anything that we say. Is that us? Or do you know somebody like that? I've been there. Frank has reminded us that it's easier to die for Christ than it is to live for him. In other words, if you're dying for Christ, you know you're going to heaven. Great. Awesome. But actually day in, day out, living in a way that would be according to your identity and your calling in God, that's tough. Because some days I just don't feel like it. You too? 
What's the meme? I can't adult today. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I just don't feel like it, living that way. We don't want to be a spiritual lion where we have these ideas in our, in our head and in these feelings in our heart, but that we don't actually put it into practice in our hands. Like James said, we don't just hear the word, but we do what it says. We want to be hearers and doers of the word. I think this is a, a problem for us. Francis Chan used to have uh, this, this example that he used where he'd say, if I told my kids to go clean your room, kids, go clean your room, and they come back after an hour, and they come back and they say, Dad, we came back, we remember what you said, you told us to clean your, the room. And I say, okay, did you clean the room? And they said, well, no, but we remember what you said. You said clean the room. And I say, well, that's not what I had in mind. Go back and try again. They go back and try again, and they memorize it, and they invite some friends over, and they're like chanting this, 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 this phrase together. Dad says, clean the room. Dad says, clean the room. And they're all in the same place, and they're chanting this. And they come back, and they, but they still don't clean the room. And they say, hey, Dad, we got our friends over here, and here they are, and, and, and we said, clean the room. And we were chanting it, and we were singing songs about cleaning our room. And I say, did you clean your room? And they said, no. Go back to your room. That's not what I meant. Finally, they go back and they clean the room and they come back and they say, Dad, we cleaned the room. Well done, good and faithful son and daughters. There are times, I think, in our Christian walk where we, where we say the right things, we believe the right things, we have the right heart, but then we just don't actually do the things that God asks us to do. We don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to interact with the people whose hands are dirty. Acknowledge, not acknowledging that all of our hands are dirty anyway. God has intended us for us to have courage and strength and to use the hands that he has given us for his purposes. There's all kinds of verses that allude to this. The Bible's saying, before I was born in my mother's womb, you put, you put me together. I praise you because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made the Bible says. Frank read one on Wednesday night, 1 Thessalonians 4, that we are to work quietly with our hands. There's all kinds of indications. Romans 12 saying that we give our bodies to him as our spiritual act of service. Our bodies. We offer our whole selves to him for our spiritual act of purpose. It turns out that God doesn't just want our heads. He doesn't just want our hearts. He doesn't just want our hands. He wants all of us. And that just as he gave his whole life for us, he asks for us to give our whole lives back to him in return. Not just part of us, not just a couple of, part of us, parts of us, but our whole self. Luke chapter 10, if you turn there, only a couple more scriptures. I know we had a lot of scripture this morning, but it's so good. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 
I love this passage too because we can get things very complicated in the Christian life sometimes. We put a lot of rules sometimes on top of what God has taught. But at the heart of the good news is that God came and paid for us that we might have this kind of life. And what does Jesus say? Do this, do this, and you will live. Don't, he didn't say, believe this, and you will live. He didn't say, think this, and you will live. He said, do this, and you will live. That if we love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, strength, and our neighbor as ourself, this kind of love, Jesus says, covers a multitude of sins. His agape love paid for all of us in this way. It turns out God wants all of us, not just part of us. That's the, that's the, the thought behind the Shema. It's, it's based on Deuteronomy 6.4. The Shema, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and strength. The idea behind the Shema is that. Not necessarily that we just need to work on those three parts, <laughs> but that God wants all of us to him. By the way, it's possible. It's a bad analogy again, but I am one person and I have a heart and I have a soul and I have, a, have strength. Those are three parts of me. That's another analogy for the Trinity. We'll, we'll talk Trinity another time. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Can we have that quote up here? C.S. Lewis. He talks about life as a house. We missed it. It's gone. That's okay. No problem. I'll tell you about C.S. Lewis's quote. C.S. Lewis talks about life as a house. That when we redesign a house, that sometimes we, we pull down the curtains and we put, we put up new curtains or we replace the tile in the bathroom because we're wanting to fix the house up and we're doing it room by room or a little at a time. C.S. Lewis says that God is doing this with us too. The only catch is that he's not just putting up new curtains. He's not just putting in new tile. Turns out that he's actually tearing the whole house down and rebuilding it into something that he can live in. And this is sometimes painful. This is sometimes difficult, this process of being torn down. Many of you have experienced that. It's why Christ says that we have to come to die first so that we might live. Because we have to be torn down in order to have this new house built where God intends to live, by the way. The reason it becomes, we become palaces is not because I'm awesome or you're awesome, but it's because God is awesome and that he wants to live there with us. Turns out that God wants all of us in response to what he has done there and for us. All right, let's finish the, finish the passage in 1 John 1 John 4, from 18 to the end. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I appreciate so much this indication from the Lord that if we are loved like this, we don't need to be afraid. How many of you have ever been afraid of anything in your life? <laughs> yeah. The thunder and the lightning and the rain just a couple of nights ago, 
Charlotte was afraid. I was afraid. <laughs> she said, no, you're not afraid of anything. <laughs> I am. We have experienced all kinds of different fears in our life. Fear of failure, fear of loss of relationship, fear of loss of job, fear of coronavirus, fear of civil unrest. Right now, there's all kinds of fears. Fear is prevalent right now. Would you agree? So many of the things that are coming out of the news channels and the social media posts and all of that is, be afraid of this today. Be afraid of this today. Be afraid of this today. Okay, now you're not afraid of that anymore? Here's a new thing to be afraid of. Right? If it's not coronavirus or police or protests, it's murder hornets. We've got something to be afraid of every day. But it's no good for us, this fear. God says that perfect love casts out fear. Casts out. Do you hear how active that is? It's not passive. It's active. Casts out fear. Throws it away. In other words, if we are loved with this agape love by Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross, we don't have to be afraid. And if we love one another in this way, if we have a community, a church, a body that loves this way, we don't have to be afraid. Don't we all long for that? That kind of love with one another? The people that you can trust with your lives? The people that you know you would lay down your life for? Wouldn't it be great if the, our families and our churches expanded in that kind of love? If that became the new normal for us, especially now in opposition to fear? This is the kind of life that God is calling us to. This is the kind of life that God is saying is possible for us. And it's so encouraging. And in the summary, verse 19, we love because he has first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's that symphonic language again coming back. It's almost a summary at the end of this chapter saying God has called us to live into our identity and our calling as ones who have been loved and who are to love like this. I had, had breakfast with a friend this week and he said, okay, so, so what? How do, I, how do I live? How do I live knowing that God has called me to live like this? And maybe some of you have been thinking the same kind of thing. Well, say I want more brain. Say I want more heart. Say I want more hands. I would encourage you, rather than to think about specifically, how can I get smarter? Or how can I get more loving or more lovey-dovey? Or how can I use my hands more often? to think about abiding in Christ. And here's why. Because our behavior will always flow out of that relationship with God. Our behavior for one another will always flow out of the love that we have for God. When we spend time with him, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time with one another, that behavior 
that, that abiding in Christ transforms us by his spirit, by his word, by the disciplines that we do as a part of the church. And then, yes, study. Yes, practice having a heart of flesh. Yes, go use your hands somewhere. At a food ministry, serving the homeless, taking out the trash for your neighbor. Even in your own home, we need this in our houses too, right? Liz, I prefer you to, what, to me. It's good to say in my, in my, with my mouth, but if I don't show it, it doesn't mean whole, much. Frank reminded us this last week that the world says, as soon as you start to serve me, then I'll start to serve you. As soon as you do the right thing, then I'll do the right thing as well. As soon as you scratch my back, then I'll scratch yours. This gospel of Jesus turns all of that on its head and says, we love unconditionally, even if there, there might not be any love that comes back. And the love of God for us is enough for that to be true. We take communion every week here at Redemption Arcadia because it is so central to what we believe, who we are, the way that God showed us this love, and because it's a way of practicing this love and reminding ourselves of this agape love that Jesus gave. So if you're watching online at this point, you can pause the video, and we'd encourage you, uh, go get some communion elements, go get some bread, and go get some juice or some wine. Light a candle, maybe say a prayer with your family, sing a song. Sounds pretty inviting, actually. I'm coming to your house next week for communion. <laughs> And if you're here, we have those little self-serving, I mean, it's, it's, it's passable, right? It's not as good as wildflower company, bread company. <laughs> Open up the communion elements, if you would, now. We do this every week because it is central. Now, we don't believe in transubstantiation. transubstantiation. I can't even say it, much less believe about it. Meaning we don't believe that that this actually becomes the body and the blood of Christ, literally. But we do believe that God uses these ordinary elements for an extraordinary purpose. We do believe that God uses these natural elements for a supernatural purpose. And that is that he has used the, the bread and the cup, the bread and the wine, as a way of saying, this is how I loved you. I gave my body for you. I gave my blood for you. That your sins will be forgiven and that you would have new life. And praise God that he has overcome death and risen on the third day. Let me pray. God, we're so thankful for your word and the way that it teaches us. But more so, Lord, the way that it unifies us with you the way that it draws us into relationship with you the way that it offers this salvation based on what you've done and not anything that I can do so God we pray that as we take this bread and this cup 
Lord Jesus, as you said at your last supper, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Take and drink. We thank you, God, that you always intended for us to be part of your family, that you've given us this free gift of salvation. And Lord, we receive this gift just as we receive this communion now today. Would you be glorified in it and in us and allow for us to give our lives back to you in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Well, thank you again so much for joining us here today. Uh, if you are a, a person who has not yet offered your whole self back to God, has not yet accepted this gift of salvation, uh, I'd love to talk with you, especially if you're interested in, interested in doing so today. Uh, I'd love to just, in, just to meet you and, and pray with you, and you can do that even today. And for those who have had this Jesus in your life for some time now, sometimes I think we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily so that we recall what this Jesus has done for us and the kind of life he calls us to. Please receive this benediction. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you is faithful, and surely he will do it. Amen. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus. See you next time.